I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to this episode of HR Coffee Time. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career coach and the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching, where our mission is to help HR and people professionals have successful and fulfilling careers without working themselves into the ground. Before I dive into this week's episode, I'd just like to say a big thank you to Emma Clayton for posting about HR Coffee Time on LinkedIn this week. She shared episode number 67, which is called How to Get on Top of Email Overwhelm when you're in a busy HR role. And she said it was really helpful. So thank you so much for sharing the episode, Emma, and tagging me in it. It's brilliant to hear that you enjoyed it. But moving on to today's episode, which is called Supporting Yourself or Your Colleagues at Work with Tourette's Syndrome. If you've been following the podcast for a while, you may have realised that this is the fourth episode on the show that specifically focuses on neurodiversity. The first episode was episode 24, Understanding and Supporting Neurodiversity at Work with Melanie Francis. And I was thrilled for Melanie because she has recently been recognised as one of the top 80 neurodiversity evangelists in the UK in 2023. It's brilliant news and so well deserved. And after recording the episode with Melanie, an HR Coffee Time listener, Devon Lovell, got in touch and recommended that I record some episodes about HR professionals who are neurodiverse, which I thought was such a good idea. I know that there is so much we can all learn from each other in the HR community and it means that I am really grateful to Sybil Watkins, Julie White and Devon who all agreed to come on the show to talk about their own experiences of neurodiversity. 
They've generously shared their stories of their journey to getting a diagnosis, the strengths and struggles that neurodiversity can bring, and their advice for you. If you think that you are neurodiverse or you want to support your neurodiverse colleagues and create an inclusive workplace. You met Sybil back in episode 68, which was called Real Life Insights into Understanding and Supporting Autism in the Workplace. And you met Julie back in episode 59. The episode was called ADHD, a personal story of the strengths, struggles and strategies that help. Now, I am delighted to be able to introduce you to Devon, where he is going to share his personal experience of Tourette's Syndrome. Welcome to the show, Devon. I feel like you're a little bit famous because I've been thanking you so much (laughs) on previous episodes because as many regular listeners to the show will know, you got in touch with me and made some brilliant recommendations for topics that you thought would be really interesting for the listeners. So it's just wonderful to have you here and have you here as a guest on the show. I thought we could start things off by me asking you if you'd be happy to share your story of your journey to getting your diagnosis. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's brilliant to be here and the podcast is fantastic and I've really enjoy relishing the opportunity to discuss my diagnosis of Tourette's syndrome. Um, Tourette's for me has been a journey, as you say, so I do appreciate the word and it's apt. Um, Tourette's in itself can be a difficult diagnosis to obtain purely because um, of and I would say this as requirements to a diagnosis, it might not be the best phrase, but you do need to have a motor and non and, and a verbal tick as well. So there's your non nonverbal and your verbal ticks. And you need to have at least one verbal tick for a year as well as as well as your your motor ticks. And once you've had that for a year, can you start to seek a diagnosis. So my journey really began in my adulthood more so than it was as a child, even though I did experience ticks then, they were not as prominent or as frequent or as severe. So it didn't really alarm anybody, if I'm perfectly honest. And only into my adulthood where my ticks started to become more prominent and they started to become more severe and particularly more frequent, I'd experience them more and more each day, um, that it made me wonder, what am I dealing with here? What is actually happening? I I was very lost in the beginning. I didn't even consider Tourette's as being something that I might actually have. And I'll be honest, I don't know much about Tourette's other than what I'd seen in movies. and, and, And of course, that's just what we get exposed to. So my journey through to to getting my diagnosis was one where I had to wait a year to two years to see anybody. Um, I was fortunate that I had a fantastic GP and I must admit it might sound like a long time, but I was rather fortunate if you look into a lot of others who, who wait a really long time to get their diagnosis. And once I was on this journey, um, you know, to make sure when I went to the neurologist that they were looking at the different ticks, my wife had to take videos over the course of a year, which was a little bit embarrassing, I guess, at times, and a bit strange having someone video tape and, you know, she's had to have the camera ready. Uh, but all this is evidence to that. And um, I got my diagnosis a few months ago, almost a year. 
and it was for Tourette syndrome and uh, traits of ASD and ADHD as well. I have heard that they very often go hands in hands. I think when I was doing some research for our episode together, I read that there's an 85% chance that you will also receive a diagnosis for yeah. OCD or ASD if you have Tourette syndrome. It was a bit of a shock. You know, I walked in to get one diagnosis and then I came up with, with, with a few others. And I think in the beginning, it, it definitely played on my mind about what does that mean for my future? What does that actually mean about how I've been coping with situations and how I've potentially viewed the world? I think it gave me had to really reflect on what this meant and how I was actually going to deal with this. And unfortunately, you know, when you get a diagnosis like this, not everybody is going to support you. Not everybody's going to believe the diagnosis. And I, and I did experience that, which was a bit heart-wrenching. But ultimately, I'm very fortunate, on the other hand, to have a, a phenomenal family and, and wife support. And I've got a great work environment where I receive a lot of support. And this has all culminated into me building up a bit of confidence, even though I do experience different aspects of, of neurodiversity. And, and, and I'm quite thankful that at least by being open and honest about it, I've received that support. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that not everybody has been supportive, but pleased that it sounds like a lot of people have been. Mm, yes. Oh, they definitely have, yeah. And... I wonder if part of the lack of support from some people is this lack of understanding and awareness about the condition, or I should say conditions, where you talked about more than one just there. Because when you got in touch to suggest that I take a bit of a deeper dive into neurodiversity, because I had covered it on the podcast once, but it was very much an overview of neurodiversity when I had Melanie Francis on the show and at that point I hadn't really thought necessarily about branching out into looking at each neurodiverse condition in detail and how we can be supporting ourselves if we're neurodiverse and our neurodiverse colleagues as far as being HR professionals are concerned and so I'm so pleased that you did suggest <laughs> it because it's just so important and it's meant that I've learned so much more. We were chatting just before we hit records and I said to you, although I knew a lot about dyslexia because of my son being dyslexic and actually ADHD seems to have been getting, which I'm very pleased about, a lot of airtime recently mm. and there's a lot more information about it. And I was really surprised when I started doing some research into Tourette's syndrome so that I <laughs> would hopefully be able to speak at least slightly intelligently about the topic to realise there isn't nearly as much information out there there doesn't seem to be as much visibility and awareness there's a little bit more recently i think especially because i noticed lewis capaldi has started talking about his recent oh. diagnosis of having ts but i'll always before a podcast i will listen to other podcasts that have covered the same topic that i'm going to I couldn't find one podcast that was talking about Tourette's syndrome at work. I just 
I couldn't believe it. The podcast that I did find was actually a Manchester United podcast because there was a goalkeeper. I know nothing about football. <laughs> I know I've now I now know a lot about <laughs> one particular goalkeeper who was called Tim Howard and he has written an autobiography where he talks about this. But so apart from that there really I couldn't find anything. So again, I feel like I'm going to keep saying thank you Devon because it's made me realize how important it is that we are talking about it today so that hopefully with just this little podcast we're going to help raise a lot more awareness and understanding. I really appreciate having that perspective as well you know looking at Tourette's I think some of the statistics are quite alarming in the sense that it's up to one in 100 um, people will be diagnosed or have Tourette's syndrome and Tourette's doesn't always manifest itself in these massively noticeable ticks, for instance. It could be something as a blink or an eye roll or a cough. Someone has, and each tick is different, and these ticks wax and they wane. I think it may be perceived that when you do have Tourette's, you're ticking absolutely all the time. That is not true for everyone. So my ticks wax and they wane, as, as do others, and sometimes they change as well, um, which can be quite surprising. A new one may just come out of nowhere, which, you know, keeps you guessing. Um, and I don't, I don't mind that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, if, if, if anything, it's wonderful that you've opened yourself and, 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 and allowed the platform that you've got so that we can raise awareness for Red Syndrome. So thank you. You're very welcome. And I'm going to stop saying thank you every five seconds now <laughs> and uh, move <laughs> us along <laughs> to the, the rest of the questions that I was hoping to ask you. Perfect. The next question I was hoping to ask you is about strengths and struggles. So I just mentioned that back in episode 24 of the podcast, I had the wonderful guest Melanie Francis on the show where we were talking about neurodiversity. And I really liked the way she talked about the fact that anyone with any form of neurodiversity, well, and in fact, any of us, whether we're neurodiverse or not, but will have strengths and struggles. And so it would be wonderful to hear what strengths your neurodiversity brings for you, because I think it would just be too easy to leap straight into what some of the challenges are. And I know that there are great strengths that it brings. Of course. And I appreciate that there are differences in the strengths and the struggles. And I can attest that even if someone struggles with the idea of strengths, if you potentially using words like a gift or even a superpower, it really does sometimes change your perception or the paradigm of how you're looking at. And if I think of the strengths that I've been blessed with, many of these has come from going through difficult and challenging times. And, and one of these is resilience. Tourette syndrome or neurodiversity really does bring about a form of resilience because in normal situations, you are having to adapt, change, work towards something in a different way, and you cannot allow or try not to allow the challenge that you face to, to put you in a position where you don't achieve your goals. So resilience is definitely one that manifests itself, um, which I'm grateful for. When it came to my Tourette's diagnosis, it, it definitely helped in establishing what some of these strengths were, which I always just thought were, you know, little things that, that I'm just naturally kind of good at. And one of them, which is slightly strange, is I'm extremely observant. I can notice really minor little details, which I'm sure 
is frustrating at times because I've noticed something completely out of place. But it can also be very wonderful if someone has had something, maybe a haircut or something, I'll notice it immediately. But in my work life, having that observational um, strength has really helped when I'm working with policies, procedures, or, or anything where I note that there's been a change or there needs to be a change. It's been great. Thinking about how this has impacted me in, in, in another way, which I've been very grateful for, is being hyper-focused. I can genuinely get hyper-focused in a topic or a hobby of interest where I just completely immerse myself in it. And that can be so rewarding as well. Sometimes I get a bit distracted, as you do, um, but when I've got that hyper-focus in play, I, I want to understand it from start to finish. I really want to, to, to learn as much as I possibly can. And I will look down and I'll... I'll, I'll be busy with work at one point, and all of a sudden I look back up, and it's like four hours have gone by, and I've just been completely and utterly focused, and then I find that to be a great strength. And because Tourette's can be stress-inducing, I need to plan ahead. I need to understand what situations I'm going into. I need to know that I am working towards being a really good planner and organizer. That reduces my stress load. So... Once, once I recognized where their stresses were coming from as well, um, these strengths came out. You know, it means that I'm a really good planner. It means that I, uh, I'm able to observe changes quite effectively. I'm hyper-focused. Improvising is fantastic. It's one thing I, I definitely can do quite easily. And I think neurodiverse, when you're wired differently, to think differently, you view things differently, that you've got this ability to, to look at a problem in a complete and unique way, which can be so impactful and open that door of opportunity to try something new. So I, I have been quite fortunate in that sense that I try and look at my diagnosis and neurodiversity in, in, in with a positive lens and, and, and a positive um, outlook. It's brilliant to hear that you've been able to identify those strengths and really lean into them. Can I ask you to talk about something that might feel more difficult, which is what the struggles are that your neurodiversity brings? Of course. I think with anything that's positive, you're going to have that challenge that comes with it. And some of those for me genuinely are quite emotional because I find Tourette's can be very frustrating in a sense that I can have my thought pattern completely jarred or can be interrupted by a tick or a motion or a sound. And that can be immensely frustrating when I'm just trying to get something done. I'm, even though I can be hyper-focused, like anything, when my ticks do come out or when I am having um, uh, some vocal ticks, it can be jarring and trying to get back into that mode can be really difficult. And in Certain situations, Tourette's can be stressful. You know, if I think about something really simple as going to the cinema, I'll be watching a, a movie and all of a sudden some vocal ticks just come out of nowhere. And, and sometimes the time it can be exceptionally comical and I appreciate humour, but it can also be stressful. You know, people are going to the movies to enjoy it. it everybody's quiet and, you know, enjoying the, the, the film. But when I have motor ticks or, or when I'm vocal ticks and that sort of situation, it can be embarrassing. Um, people do look around and, and that's completely normal. I totally understand that. But sometimes you don't want to be that center and they're not always going to understand. So 
you know, and that will go into other situations such as maybe a funeral or, or a wedding. And you've got to be conscious that, listen, this is something that might just actually happen. So you really have to prep yourself. And I have found that when everybody knows in some respects, it can be very helpful. So it's not like I wear a badge or anything like that, but I do, I have no issue with my wife discussing it or if anybody needs to discuss it so that if I do take anything like that, it's not as distracting. And I guess combined with all of that, it can be emotional. You're dealing with a lot and it's something you really can't control as much as you'd like to, and you can suppress a tick, but it's like suppressing a sneeze. Eventually, you know, it's going to come out. So I have found that to be rather an emotional struggle. And physical struggle is sleep. I can really lose a lot of sleep sometimes if I'm ticking before I go to sleep or I'm ticking while I'm asleep, you know, that, that can wake me up and then can be difficult to go back to sort of find that rhythm again. So these struggles are there. And as much as you look at life, we look at this in a positive way, I think it would be foolish and, and, and it would be irresponsible not to say that these struggles are there, as, as everybody has got struggles. These are just in particular the ones that, that I've experienced with Tourette's. And is it the same struggles at work or do you find other challenges appear there as well? Oh, it's a good question. I do client-facing work. I work as an HR consultant. So I do go into client-facing meetings. And in the beginning, I was concerned, how is this going to look? How is this going to be interpreted? And it took a while for me to gain that confidence. But I, I, I do have to thank my employer, Fitzgerald, because they have been wonderful at helping me build that confidence. And I'm working with clients. One of, one of the things that's been great about remote working as well is that if I am in a meeting, I can press the mute button. So, you know, there are things that have been great. I can just press the mute button if I'm having some ticks and it's going to be distracting. But the struggles are gain a sense of confidence and maybe some and maybe self-esteem and not getting frustrated, even though you're in a boardroom meeting and, and maybe someone's having that opportunity to present a new strategy the business, I'm conscious that I don't want to stop that flow of thought or stop that that natural rhythm that someone's in. And I guess that can be something I do struggle with. So it does sort of play itself in both professional and personal, but in both circumstances, I would say that support really does make a world of difference. It's so interesting to hear you say about the fact that remote working can bring real benefits, like just hitting the mute button. I haven't thought about that at all. It can, and it has. You know, um, there's a comfort as well working from home. I'm, I'm at home. So this is, in terms of stress, you know, maybe catching a, a train or, you know, you'd, you'd be late to a meeting or anything like that, because Tourette's does have a stress-inducing component, I find that working from home can be really helpful. It's, it's my own space. My meetings are scheduled. I know that if I'm – if and also I can – send a message, an IM to someone in the team and say, look, you know, this is happening or uh, please forgive me if I need to put my camera off. I'm having quite a few motor ticks at the moment and, I'm, and I feel it might be distracting. So I do feel like remote working can again be quite supportive depending on, on how you set up. And it's fantastic to hear that as well as that, your employer has been so supportive. It would be wonderful to hear more about how they've been supportive and maybe some of the strategies that you've found that have really helped mm. you in the workplace? And to be honest, it was 
they had already created a bridge of communication which was completely open. And I had, even though maybe some trepidation, I never felt fear or, or and I, I probably was a little bit anxious, um, but the way they had always been supported from the very beginning, and I, and I must say this is from, even at the recruitment stage, I knew this was a, this was a supportive company and there was no change and it went all the way through and that comfort really helped me to be open. And what they did was when I talked about my um, diagnosis and actually I hadn't formally received it up until that point, I was you know still talking about what I believed to be what my, my diagnosis would be. Um, they immediately wanted to find out what adjustments do I need? They wanted to understand and walk me through this journey. No one was saying that they were an expert. Everybody was saying, this is your experience. And how do you experience things? And what can we do to, if possible, improve your working conditions? There was no, it, it always came from a place of what is my comfort? What do I need? And if I'm not in a good space, there was so much encouragement to just talk. And it was never going to be used in a negative way. I, I, I worked with um, Lisa and, and Lee and, and Ryan and all three of them at, at Fitzgerald have just been absolutely phenomenal at giving me that space where if I need to say, look, this is, this is too much or I can't concentrate or I've, I've been ticking a lot and it's frustrating. They've just been there and been available. And these are the small things. I think from a work perspective as well, I try my best to take strategies such as mindfulness, breathing, calming ways of working has been exceptionally helpful. So planning ahead, I'm very good at making sure I know what my calendar says, what am I doing that day, what, what are the details? Um, and all of these little strategies are all about to reduce stress where possible. And I do try and implement the strategy of what I can and can't control. I think that's always easy to, to, to say out loud, but very difficult to implement. And they also speak to me that way. Well, Devin, just, you know, do what you can control. What can you control? You know, they, we're seeing it from the same hymn and I found that to be exceptionally helpful. Well, I'm sure it's going to be incredibly helpful and reassuring for anyone listening to hear that, Devon. I think especially because there can be this temptation to think, oh, we've got to know all the answers or we should be making suggestions as to what kind of adjustments we can put in place. But from what you're describing there, it sounds very much that actually having just an open conversation about it and asking you what you need is really what was so beneficial. Definitely, definitely. I completely agree with that. For anyone listening today who works in HR and is thinking, you know, I wonder if I am neurodiverse, but I'm not sure, what would your advice to them be? Don't doubt yourself. If you have evidence or you have that gut feeling, explore it. But do so in a way that isn't just a Google search. <laughs> Please don't rely on Dr. Google to, to give you a diagnosis and how and, and, and where things are. Seek the support where you can. And there are so many organizations out there. You know, for me, it's Tourette's Action. 
that's the charity. They they put out a lot of great messaging. And if you're in a situation where you need to to find that support, get it. You know, they're on your listeners is a community. There's HR as a community. Um, people are willing to be there. So if you think you are neurodiverse, my advice is to reach out, be honest, don't doubt yourself. You've got the evidence and you and you've got the belief, you've got that, you you know, you will know. And I say just don't doubt yourself and, and seek the support where you need it because it's available. Well that sounds like excellent advice, Devon. And then thinking of it from the other perspective, so anyone listening who works in HR, most of our listeners do because it's <laughs> HR coffee time, and they want to make sure that they're supporting anyone in the workplace who, who is neurodiverse. What is it that they can be doing to make sure they're being as inclusive as possible? So you've talked through the importance of having those open and transparent mm. conversations. What would your other recommendations and advice be? Education is absolutely vital. Education over compliance is, it's not a tick box. Being inclusive and supporting your staff is an everyday thing. It's not a sometimes thing. And if I was giving anybody advice, mine would really be, are we being inclusive? Ask the question, challenge yourself. And when you give a binary answer such as yes or no, Follow that up with, but why do I believe that? What evidence do I have to show that I am being inclusive? And that is okay. And try and talk it out with other people because it can be, you know, when we ask ourselves these questions, we give it, we have a subjective perspective. And sometimes we need to ask others to get that objectivity. So I would say if you want to be as inclusive, ask yourself, are we actually being inclusive? And what evidence do we have to support that? And it's not just providing everybody the exact same platform because that's not what this is. It's about considering the workforce. Do they have that space to be open, honest, and as a business, are you challenging yourself by asking these questions? And if you aren't, I just encourage you to do that. And you know what? You're never going to have all the answers. So learn. Just learn. Take us an open book and learn. Because each person's neurodiversity is completely unique. And the only way to understand how you can support that person is let them explain what is difficult for them. It's not a, we've done a course, so now we understand neurodivergent. It's not about that. It's a, it's a mindset that needs to be implemented and utilized because that mindset will drive all sorts of other decisions. So I, I, would, I would go with an attitude and, and, and a perceptual mindset change, one of growth and open. I think one of the things... I'm realizing more and more, the more that I learn about neurodiversity is what you've just articulated about everyone being different. When I was reading about Tourette's syndrome in preparation for our interview, someone described it as fingerprints. So mm. the way it will present will be completely unique to every single person. And I'm sure that we could say the same about all neurodiversity, although we can say, oh, this is what you may experience or this is how it may affect you. Actually, the intricacies yeah. and the way you experience it is going to be completely unique, which is why we can't possibly have all the answers <laughs> and why it is so important for, to have the education and the conversations. Okay, and, and I love that way of thinking about it, the fingerprints. It, it, that's a, a perfect way to describe that every single person experiences slightly differently. And, and the real value comes from 
knowing that someone that is that identifies as or is neurodiverse will see things differently. And there's nothing more powerful than that. So, so the value in in being open, but also being a curious listener is really going to give, not only is it going to make a positive impact to yourself, but it's going to make a positive impact to your workforce, which then generates out into the community. And many employees may not have, may not be neurodiverse, of course, but they may have a child who's been diagnosed with ADHD or ASD. And, and it's important for them to see that workplaces are going to be prepared for when their children enter the workforce. So it's, 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 it's a never ending, um, it's an iterative process of learning and understanding. And so I'm really fortunate, I think, to be at a time when this is becoming more prominent, people are talking about it more, and they want to understand it more. And people like Lewis Capel, as you said, or Billy Eilish, coming out and actually saying, look, this is what I've got. Um, these are the kind of things which, which give people more confidence, and it's no longer a taboo subject or a taboo um, um, topic. Pulling on that thread that you've been talking about of education and how important that is, I'm intrigued to hear what your book recommendation is going to be, Devon, because I haven't asked you beforehand so that it's a surprise, because as any regular listener will know, I always ask every guest if they're happy to share a non-fiction book recommendation. So can I ask you what your one is? My book recommendation is 4,000 Weeks, and it's by Oliver Bergman. It is a book about time and how it's finite. It's not a book where it's, it's a philosophy about we've only got technically 4,000 weeks on this planet and what strategies and things can you do to actually enjoy your 4,000 and, and, and accomplish the things you want to do. It's not just a goal setting. It's more about time management philosophy and I found it to be immensely helpful. So I highly recommend it. I recorded this episode with Devon a couple of months ago, and as I'm sat here editing it and recording this final outro for you, I had completely forgotten that he had recommended that book, and it looks absolutely brilliant. I'll pop a link to it in the show notes for you in case you'd like to take a look at it as well. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and learning from Devon. I'm so grateful to him and to all of the guests who come onto HR Coffee Time. If you have found the show helpful, can I ask you for a tiny favour? And that is to share it with a friend, because I would love to reach as many HR and people professionals as I can with these free weekly episodes to help everyone with their HR careers. Thank you so much. That's all from me for the moment. I'll be back again next Friday with the next episode.